Was that just a statement? That was just a statement that I will probably cut out. (laughs) My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I'm very excited to let you guys know that I got to interview my wife, Ashley. We start off the conversation the usual way and how she got into tabletop role-playing games. We then talk a little bit about being a player. We talk a little bit about coming up with our own card-based RPG and how that went. Then we get into how she likes to run games and having main quests constantly available. We also talk about running some one-shots and her thoughts on killing characters or having multiple characters. And to finish up the conversation, we talk about how to engage players in your game and player bonds. A big thank you to all my listeners for supporting the show and just helping our little community grow. For any of you not on the Discord server, I really hope to see you over there soon and hopefully get you in on a game or two or get you in on an interview. I'm also hoping to be running our second design contest soon. So if you're on the Discord server, you will be the first to know about that. Uh, Just stay posted there. And if you're looking to support the channel financially, go ahead and pick up an RPG book of your choice from either Amazon or DriveThruRPG using one of our affiliate links. And basically the proceeds from that are going to go to funding more design contests. So it's a win-win for everybody. And without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Welcome, everybody. I have a very special guest with me today. Today, it is my wife, Ashley, being interviewed. Welcome, Ashley. Oh my gosh, thank you. I don't know if I'd call me a special guest, but I guess we'll see. And so the first question that we always start out with is, how did you get started in tabletop role-playing games? Well, you. (laughs) (laughs) um basically well I mean I guess um when I was younger I mean I I had heard about RPGs or you know role-playing games um I didn't really have a whole lot of an interest in them um until later I was in speech in high school and you know I, I really enjoyed that I have quite horrible hand-eye coordination when it comes to video games, but I do like, um, you know, playing different games and stuff. And so after I learned more about um, RPGs, I realized that it kind of mixes two things that I really enjoy. Um, And so... You had brought it up to me a few different times. We had played, let's see, what was the first one that you did for The Star Wars one. Yeah. So um, we did that and actually really enjoyed it, although um, it was kind of difficult the first time just kind of realizing, you know, all that goes into it. Um, But then, yeah, kind of found a... A love for it, I guess, as we, um, I guess as you, you kind of went through the different, um, 
I went off the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> for RPGs. Right. So you kind of took me along for the ride, but thank goodness it was an enjoyable one. <laughs> you know, I don't think we've ever really brought up the fact that your time in speech would have crossed over with RPGs. At least I hadn't thought of that. I was never in speech, um, so I didn't have that aspect of storytelling behind me i was more i'm more kind of like the mechanics and systems and that probably shows sense of a software developer but <laughs> it does make a lot of sense because you did like the storytelling um like categories in speech right well um i was in humorous but yeah i would um and duo but you would like tell tell a story basically and so i i really enjoy that part of it um so, usually in the games, I, I like in RPGs, I do like the story aspect. Sometimes more than the than the combat aspect. I think that you know the the relationships, the conversations, the you know all of those things are really fun and interesting to me. Um, and we did have our friend Zach ran a game of D&D for us for about a year. So that was really exciting. It was the first time that we actually played together. Usually it's either um, Brock is either the DM or or I am. So we don't really get to be on the same side too frequently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually now that I think back to it, you often were the one in our group that was kind of taking the lead or um making the decisions um a lot of times my sister and i would so either bicker or not who, have an idea uh, if you're wondering who wears the pants <laughs> <laughs> just kidding <laughs> um yeah you know in it, it's really fun to see the differences um when playing rpgs um you know like how your character differs from you in real life. And I um I would say that I'm more of a easygoing, like kind of follow along, whatever kind of a person in my day-to-day -day life, but usually when we're playing I'm more of a I don't know, leader, I guess decisive i think is the word <laughs> i do decisive yes i do like to take control sometimes ashley's like all right we're done bickering about what we're doing uh we're doing this <laughs> you guys can't figure it out so i've decided for us yeah you know they'll be like discussing and i'm like i run forward and i <laughs> like just initiate combat or i'm like start having a conversation with the random person that we weren't sure if we were going to avoid or not like but it's it's never it's not usually like i want to use the word malicious but i don't think that's the right word but not like <laughs> just running into combat like uh you know and yeah. and then causing problems it's a lot of times it was more I... so like I think we should do it this way. I think we should do it that way and then Ashley's like okay we're doing it that way and then yeah. just run well... with it and I do prefer to play, like, a rogue, usually, of some sort. So I do like to be stealthy, but a lot of 
the characters that I played are kind of they're they're part of the group, but also kind of out to do things for their for their own gain at the same time. So I feel like at times I would like just continue and move forward, but it would be like stealthy. So it's not like I'd like, you know, bulldoze over people or anything. Yeah, it wasn't like barbarian. I rage and run in and just run (laughs) in the middle and and start fighting everybody. I mean, now that I think about it, though, maybe I should be a barbarian next. (laughs) That is a pretty classic trope of... Hulk smash, run in and and break stuff. So, So we've talked about being a player a little bit, but typically I interview Dungeon Masters, so maybe tell us a little bit about the games that you've run. Um, let's see. I've ran, most of the time it ends up just being like a one-shot Partially because of the amount of time that we have or we're playing with new players or, you know, you don't know exactly what we're going to do. But I I like to keep things more loose when I'm a DM. So usually I have like, uh, like a kind of a basic storyline-ish or like where things are taking place, kind of, but more in the prepping, I like to make lists of people, um, like different characters that could be around, different places that they could visit if they want to, um, and just kind of a list of random things that could be found and then kind of go off of the questions that I ask or things that the players say, I guess. And I think, uh, just for people's reference, I think when you were running the game, we were doing Dungeon World, I believe. I don't think we were running I've... full d and I think we were running Dungeon World. Right. I think I did do... Didn't you might I have do... done a one-shot. Yeah, D&D. I did one D&D one-shot, but then the rest was Dungeon World, yeah. yes. Dungeon World is a little bit easier, I feel like, to run than D&D. There's less to keep track of. Right. I am less of a book reader <laughs> when it comes to, like, getting all of the information. Um, so I feel like I wasn't as good at running D&D just because of the immense amount of content that there is mm-hmm. that I just didn't, you know, do the... Not that you had to do research entirely, but like I, I didn't really dive into the books very much There's to be able to more utilize involved. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I will say that I, I guess I would be like the rules lawyer of the group. Um, I know his nickname <laughs> is RP Jesus. So um, when it comes to um, the games that we play, he will usually. I don't even know how really. But he just knows and will read, like, all of the... Like, he'll just consume all of all of the game, like, content as much as he can. So if you don't know how something works 
and you kind of casually mention like I don't I guess I don't know I'll have to look that up he will just like spill knowledge out (laughs) I'm weird because I think reading rule books is fun so you know it does it's very helpful because I I don't like to do that so balances out in that way that is not you know now that we mentioned that that is my way of nudging people when I know that they're doing something wrong. Um, <laughs> this happens more in board games, I think, than in RPGs. But usually what happens is somebody will, will play something and be like, that's not a legal move, right? And then, so I'll ask them, how are you doing that? <laughs> more as a, like, prying, waiting for them to explain themselves to explain why they're wrong. At this point in our relationship, since I have known him long enough, if he says, so how are you going to do that? I generally will follow up by saying, okay, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it's more subtle for people who aren't used to me saying that to them. Yeah. Um, I will say for me, though, despite... Uh, really taking in a lot of uh, rule books and stuff, I do still find D&D to be somewhat challenging to run, or just, and maybe it's because I haven't run it recently. Um, but when when you step away from being a player and into Dungeon Master mode, there's just so many more things that your brain has to keep track of, and so that level of difficulty jumps, even though I can recite a lot of the <laughs> the rule books. Well, the and rules. I think it really depends too on who your players are, right? Because you can know so much information, but if the players either don't have that same level of knowledge or aren't willing to learn it, it it's just it's really hard to to run. So I think kind of picking you know, what what route you go kind of depends on the DM and the... And the group that you're running it for. Right. And oftentimes what feeling you want to have too, right? Because some games do horror really well or do heists really well that other systems don't do. So if you're going for a certain feel, using the right system is is going to be really beneficial as well. Right. And like I said, I have that speech background, that storytelling background. So I really like that aspect within Dungeon World. I remember for one of the sessions that you wrote out like a one or two page like scene to read to us when we got back to town after the after we had done our little quest or whatever it was. Um, and that was really a really strong, like, that was the, scene to kind of end the on. The castle, right? Yes, I believe so. And there was, like... There was, like, an assassination. Yeah, so there was an assassination that happened in a, in a big crowd of people, and it was kind of... There were a bunch of different little hints of things that they could... Um, kind of go off of for the for the next session there was you know you could see some people that were 
possibly involved or talking in the background, and there was some sketchy behavior going on with some of the guards, and how did they get assassinated in a crowd of people, but you didn't see who did it, and... There, so if I remember right, it was kind of a, like a party setting, like out, uh, or like festival type thing out in kind of like a town square or something. Right. And then there was like the king or the duke or whoever was gonna, had like a balcony that he was gonna stand on and like give a speech. That's where he got assassinated. Yeah. But if I remember correctly, there was also something weird with like, like colors and stuff seemed faded when we returned to town or something, right? Right. So... When they came back, like, the people, so the main, um, what did I call, like, the main village or whatever, basically, the people were always so, like, bright and lively, and there was a lot of, like, emerald greens and, like, sapphires and bright reds, like, everything was really, um, just bright and lively, and when they returned, everything seemed kind of dull um, in the colors. Like, there were more, like, grays and people's smiles had faded. And so there was something creeping in um, that they kind of needed to learn a little bit more about. So there's a little tidbit if you need a... a jumping off point for a new <laughs> campaign. You can kind of steal that little little bit so actually now that i'm thinking about it i think i'm maybe better at handling some mechanical stuff uh maybe we should co-dm and you can write the storylines and then <laughs> okay. i will just run the i'll just run the sessions there we go <laughs> yeah um yeah we haven't had another session since then mm-hmm. so well it's been hard because we between well, covid and or, you know. My sister and her boyfriend are in college, so schedules are just a nightmare at right. this point. Right. And so it just gets kind of difficult with, with timing and everything, but that was a really fun one. We're going to have to we we should should, jump back should in there. pick that one back up. Yeah. Um, if you could, so, so if we did pick this back up, uh, what system do you think you'd want to do that in? Would you want to run it in? Uh, Dungeon World again, or would you want to take a crack at running it in D and I really enjoy Dungeon World, and the way that um, I don't know. I just I just really like the mechanics and um, how it works. I guess so. I would like to stay with Dungeon World. I think kind the... of because it was also wrote in or like started. Mm-hmm. In Dungeon World and kind of, I don't know, how's that feel, I guess? Um, I think the only complaint that I remember you mentioning about Dungeon World was not getting to roll D20s. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Seriously, my biggest complaint. I love rolling dice, specifically D20s. But I'll survive. <laughs> I'll have to write a conversion so that you can run Dungeon <laughs> World but use D20s instead of D6s. That's okay. I mean, we do have a lot more D6s readily available. We so. do. We do. They, you know, every board game has them, it seems like. Right. All the classics, anyways. Yahtzee. 
Yahtzee, Monopoly. You can always find packs of them just like at the store store checkouts and stuff too for like a buck. Fun fact about Brock, if he sees a pack of dice like at the grocery store, it's like you have to convince him not to buy them. Like we have enough dice. It's only it's only a dollar. But these ones are blue. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even have to be special RPG dice either, just regular colored D sixes. You don't realize how many actual like games or things you can do with just individual dice though. I mean we've like in the like RPG like world or i don't know we do you remember that we played like we kind of made up our own like rpg game just like off of cards we did just like we wanted to play but it's only the two of us and like are we gonna do a whole campaign like one of us writes the campaign for the other one like that's kind of a lot and, like, you don't know how much time you're going to be able to dedicate to it. So we just kind of went off of cards and, like, decided to, like, when we would draw a card, you decipher, you know, like, maybe if it's a person and you happen to draw, like, a, a king or whatever. Okay, so it's, like, a male royalty, whatever. Um, and then went off of the, like, conversations and jump off points and use different cards. So... Um, yeah, we kind of... Yeah, so we did... So, like, in that example, we used, like, the face value of the card to determine, like, how in, uh... What's the word I'm looking for? Like, the magnitude of something? So, like you said, if you pulled... If you were... Okay, somebody is lurking in the shadows, and, you know, you get closer and you see who it is. Okay, draw a card. And then, like, if it's, like, a one... Or a two, it might be like a peasant or a commoner or something. But like you said, if you drew like a king or a, a jack or something, then it would be like royalty or, right. you know, kind of like determine the magnitude of things. Eight, nine, ten is like a really strong person or something. Right. And then we also used um, the we used the colors and the, and kind of the suits as well. So like if we had, since we were kind of doing it cooperatively... There would be times where we would, like, have a question, be like, does, is the door locked? And neither of us could answer the question, so we'd say, okay, is it 50-50? Red is, yes, it's locked. Black is, no, it's not locked, right? And then we draw a card, and then whatever color it was, that would help us determine. Or you could do, like, if it's more likely that it's locked, then maybe you pick one suit and you say if it's clubs, it's not locked, but all the other suits are locked, you know, or vice versa. You could say you could flip that around to be not likely. Um, so we kind of set like intuitively in the conversation, how likely does this fact seem like it's going to be? And then uh, we kind of almost set our own difficulty based on the card draw. Right. And then whatever the card draw, that's what would happen. Um Combat was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It ended up definitely being more of like a storytelling type thing, but we did kind of go with like, you know, if you get like clubs, for instance, they're um, 
the enemy was stronger or, you know, or could do more damage. If it was a heart um, that had to do with their health and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, but that was that was really fun to kind of use different um, like, I guess, RPGs, that style of game, but then kind of change it to what we wanted it to be for right playing just a two-person game well the nice thing about doing it with cards two versus dice is that we could like sit on the couch and somebody could just hold a deck of cards and draw or if we wanted to we could have played it like in the car while we were driving you know whereas dice that's a little bit it's not as portable i mean you can take dice anywhere but you really have to have a nice surface to roll them on for them to really work so and for those of you if you have children sometimes rolling <laughs> dice on the table is a little too loud and you don't want to poke the beast and wake them <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> another can of worms that is well and when we were playing that is when hazel was fairly little too so right. waking up old. was a was more of a big deal back then right (laughs) from your perspective you are not into a lot of the rpg stuff like online um not like me right like i i just went off the deep end i'm in everything (laughs) i'm on all the reddit pages i watch random tiktoks about D D. right i'm specifically on a couple of reddit pages to be able to either just find cool stuff to send to you or to like slightly still be immersed. <laughs> <laughs> but not too heavily. Right. Um, what, when you first ran a game for us, what was the, like what was, what kind of like, what was the experience and what was, I'm assuming it was more difficult than you expected it to be? Or maybe what things weren't you expecting about running a game? So, I would say it went better than I expected. But um, it was different than I expected. So, when I first ran a game, I tried to plan out, I think, kind of like all first-time DMs. You plan for this straight path, like, well, like, we need to go to this place. Like, literally, X marks a spot. Like, it seems pretty obvious. This is where we're going, right? And they're like, hey, you know, there's this really cool thing over there. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I was literally describing something in passing. Why are you going there? Um, so that first session was where I learned to very loosely (laughs) plan things because you realize that other people's minds just run so differently than yours. And so the, the things that would be more interesting to me obviously is not the same Um, to you or to your sister, um, Mm -hmm. you know. So (laughs) that was one thing that I noticed. Also, um, 
well, along the lines still of keeping things loose, I realize that um, when I assume that this enemy is going to be very easy to defeat, it may be very hard, or you may hit him with one blow, and like, <laughs> I thought that that was going to be like a major event and you're just like okay what should i do next so um i guess my first experience would be just i don't know i i did not expect it to go the way that it did but it definitely helped me be a better dm in the future or you know after that to to remember to keep things just loose I think uh, that both of those have come up on this podcast before, and I know online all the time I see one of the biggest suggestions is don't don't plan things too in-depth because your players will just veer off the path that you have laid out for them. Like almost, it's like almost guaranteed that they will just they'll take something that you said like you mentioned yes. some little piece and they're like oh my gosh that's cool what I is it i feel like <laughs> specifically when there's like the opportunity to talk to someone like sometimes you'll like just throw people or things in as you're describing just so it's not like an open plane you know it's like oh you you see someone in the distance or you see like you're walking through a town, you know, there's a, a couple of buildings or whatever. And they're like, is there shops? And you're like, well, I suppose there would be. Is there a place, for instance, where I can get armor or whatever? Like, uh, sure. Can I go kill something to, to like, yeah, okay, whatever. You, just tell me what you want to do because... You seem to really have that in your head. <laughs> My sister is a... Uh, she really likes rangers, and she really likes to skin everything and then bring yes. it to the local blacksmith and say, make me something with this. Yes. Once you learn that, like, you know, I feel like it helps to know your your players um, and, like the things that they're interested in because now I just know that like make sure whatever I kill I know if it can be skinned <laughs> and how can we use it right like how it can be used and um Brock will literally do the most like random things you have to know that if he can jump off of something or onto <laughs> something he will such as jumping off of an island or mountain uh, and just falling for several turns. That, you know, that went, <laughs> it went better in my head. It really did. Right. Actually, so that was in our D&D &D game. We were, I was playing a monk and we were fighting this like phoenix thing and it would, he kept swooping down and attacking us. And as a monk, I couldn't really do anything about it. And in that moment, I had forgotten that you can technically ready an action so that then, like, when it swooped down, I could have punched it. Um, completely forgot about that. And then I was like, well, hey, I need to get it in, like, a confined space. So I run to the edge of this, like, big, tall hill that we're on. 
and looked down and was like, hey, is there like a cave or something down there? And DM's like, yeah, sure. Um, so I was like, cool. I jump off because I'm a monk. I don't take any falling damage. Or I, I had a thing that didn't let me take falling damage. And then it's like, okay, you jump off. And, um, I, and then like in that moment, I was like, okay, wait, no, I can ready actions. It's maybe I shouldn't do that. And then he's like, okay, so that's for six seconds of falling. You would have fallen like 200 and some feet. And I'm like, oh no, it's too late. (laughs) I've already committed. I'm like halfway down this hill. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. So that... It's always interesting what you guys do. I do enjoy when I'm going to plan something, asking ahead of time just a few questions to figure out what people are more interested in at that time. Like, are you wanting um, to have more dialogue, less dialogue? Are you wanting more combat? Or, you know, just kind of getting a baseline of, of what they are hoping this campaign will be or like what type of person they want to be and just asking some open-ended questions to kind of get that baseline Mm -hmm. um for me i think i tend to lean into i really like combat and i really like um like exploration slash like environmental like puzzles and stuff like that or like how do we get into this building without being detected right like it's not necessarily combat or anything but it's just like kind of problem solving i don't like social stuff as much but i think it's because i i think one of the things that i struggle with both as a player and as a dm is just like knowing what my character would say or what the npcs would say so conversations i feel like are something that i need to work on right Um, what about you I usually enjoy the dialogue um, and kind of figuring things out. But I do feel the same way when it's like, well, if like if you don't know exactly what your task is, it becomes really difficult. Like, well, I know I need to figure out what to do or like, you know, what would be a good thing to do. But I don't know who to ask or what to ask. So I think... You know, I found that as a player, so then taking that into consideration as a DM, having at least some um, task at hand for them, and they can veer off if they want and do whatever they want, but at least have one or two things that they kind of clearly know that they can do. There was always like a obvious next step regardless of if we were ready to take it or not like it's like well we know that we have to go investigate this castle but then like if we wanted to we could be like you know what before we leave town let's go chat with this merchant guy because he was doing suspicious stuff in the town beforehand right but like we we always had that thing that was like okay it's kind of like a quest marker like in skyrim like if all of our side quests were gone we go looking for more side quests, or we could just follow the main, <laughs> the main quest right. marker to the next thing. So back on that part where you mentioned that I always do just random stuff. Um, in that game, I was playing a druid, and I would turn into a wolf during combat. 
And every single time we finished a combat, I would let out a celebratory howl. Oh my god! And every time you made more enemies show up. Yes. <laughs> Literally every time he would like let out a howl. So finally I was like, you hear something, you know, above like, you know, or you, you feel a presence or whatever. Just Just letting him know that like, you can do that all the time. But like... You you maybe want to quiet it down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think it was like the third time I was like, okay, I got to stop doing this. Because more people keep hearing me and then they come and attack <laughs> us because they're trying to figure out what's happening. Um, so, yeah, players, uh, DMs, use what your players do to your advantage, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was a good way to be able to play off of kind of the tells of the the players like well I know that this is gonna happen so after they finish I'm gonna just allow that to kind of push the the scene forward um what advice do you have for new dungeon masters don't get too uptight about it um try not to be too dead set on what what you want to happen maybe have a start and a finish but if you plan it out too much either you're gonna have no idea what to do when they change or you're gonna be disappointed that they didn't you know go through this awesome thing that you had planned out for them um so yeah just just be loose and kind of um plan you know I, I found it really helpful to have a list of, you know, enemies that could be found in that area, like wherever you start or, you know, like just a few, like a handful that could be there, um, some different kind of pre-built people that you could use and then kind of let the the players walk you through it. Do you have any advice for veteran dungeon masters? Ooh. That's an interesting question. I wouldn't consider myself anywhere near a um veteran dungeon master. So I guess I would say, gosh, that's a that's a tough question. We always hear the first one. That's a common question, right? For new people, what do you recommend? But for veterans, it's a little bit harder. Yeah, it is. Um, well, I want to say be flexible to them too, but maybe in a in a different way be you know if you're a veteran be flexible in the the system that you're using you know um after switching from D&D to Dungeon World I feel like if um if or when we go back I'd be able to take more information or, you know, different mechanics and uh, apply that. Mm-hmm. So maybe being more flexible with within 
I don't know, the system that they're using. Well, and that's one of the things that I, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy reading um, lots of different rule books, even though I know I probably won't run a lot of the games, is because, <clears throat> like we mentioned, certain systems do things really well or have mechanics to handle things that other games don't, and a lot of them you can steal. Just, right. you can either straight up steal them or you can kind of rework them a little bit so that they fit into whatever system you're running. Um, and I, I guess the other, you know, maybe piece of advice or whatever, I think when you've been playing for quite a long time, it's not necessarily as new or as, um, you know, interesting. And when you, especially from a DM perspective, if you have been you know, the DM for a long time and you don't always get to play, I guess my advice would just be to remember to have fun with it, you know, not let the DMing um, and writing the stories become a chore and try to still just find those really fun and funny and interesting things that players do. Yeah, avoid the burnout, really, yeah. Right. Yeah, and I know that we've mentioned before that getting a chance to play in somebody else's game is a really good way to kind of get inspired again and then kind of recharge your batteries so that you're ready to come back roaring as a DM. Because after a while, if it does become a chore more so, like, you just lose that, you know, fun kind of, like, nostalgic feeling you get when you get to play again and... Yeah. Well, it's new and exciting, and you're you're not in charge of any everything, right. and you don't know what's all what's supposed to happen. I was going to say, you don't know that everything that's going to happen already, but like we said, right. your players are going to change it anyways. So you yeah. might not know what's going to happen for sure as a DM, but you have an idea of where the story is going. So right, and I do really enjoy like if you're doing a campaign, just um, doing like a random one shot that's either completely unrelated or you can piece it in as you know lore or something Mm -hmm. you know just something to change it up yeah i think that's that was my first D &D game that we that i ran was a one shot for our D D characters i asked our dm if i could just run a one of the sessions basically just a just a random side quest basically and um and then using all of our regular characters and everything, and then we popped back into our regular, regularly scheduled uh, campaign. So um, that's also a good way to get give people a taste of being a DM as well, if they maybe have some interest in it, in it, but they're not ready to take on a full campaign for a group. You know, because right. campaigns can take a long time; they can be a lot of prep to get a story down and and i think allowing like that like our dm allowing you to dm the one shot also can give a really great perspective on like how someone else runs it Mm -hmm. i feel like they kind of show you then where their interests is like where their interests lie right and you can see, like, oh, they focus a lot more on this or whatever. And you can kind of take that into account into 
you know, the continuation of that campaign. Right. Um, just make sure you don't let them, like, be like, oh, look, here's, like, a million gold in this chest that we just found. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Maybe set some restraints, like, <laughs> please don't kill the characters and don't give them more than <laughs> that okay so that's a that's actually a good question um because some people some people are okay with their characters dying or killing their players how do you feel about um you could answer this from either the dm perspective or the player perspective like how do you feel about uh players um having their characters die so that is kind of an interesting question. For me, with my first character, it was like, oh my gosh, no, she can't die. She's incredible. Um, now I actually enjoy creating characters. So whatever, I'm going to go all in, you know, and if I die, I'm going to create another character and they're going to be just as awesome as the previous one as a dm i think it's 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 kind of difficult because you don't want to have your characters or you know have your players think that um their characters are invincible and like you don't kill them if you leave them on the brink of death and then they all of a sudden come back to you know something happens and they come back, you you lose that, like, adrenaline rush. If Yeah, if they're like, they, oh, crap, I'm going to die. Yeah, <laughs> like, if you don't allow them to die, you kind of lose some of that. But also, you do have to gauge your players. And if you know that someone's going to be so upset and heartbroken and they're not going to want to continue the campaign, like, then you obviously don't want to kill them. Which is great having you as a, one of the players as a DM because when all else fails, kill Brock. Because, <laughs> you know, he's already probably got seven new characters that yep. he wants to try out. Character sheets are already made. Yeah, <laughs> like he already has like their backstory ready for you. It's perfect. So then you can give the other players a taste of that um, fear of dying mm. without actually killing them off. <laughs> so if I end up playing with uh, playing in more games on the server, which hopefully I I will, um, you guys are free to kill my player or my my character if you want. Kill so my player. Go ahead. Just I would hope that you wouldn't, but yeah, yeah, his character. If, if it makes sense in the story, you will love it. <laughs> yeah, I always have way too many backup characters. I think it's a, it's a curse of being a DM is that you're already making monsters and NPCs and stuff all the time, right? So then you're, you're always thinking like, oh well, this would be fun, and I haven't tried this before, and then, and then it can be kind of. I don't want to say frustrating, but like if you if you get bored with what you're playing in a current game, then it can kind of be like ah I don't really want to do the same thing again for another you know four hours or whatever your sessions are, right? You're like I want to switch things up. So yeah, I think that as a DM, if you do allow 
your players to kind of change up their characters if they're getting really bored. I think it's really good to gauge them because the whole point is to have fun and for it to be enjoyable for for the players and for the DM, you know, overall. So if, if you're feeling stuck or you're not enjoying it, change it. You don't need to be so strict with it. And even if it's not killing the character... Uh, they can always go off and do their own thing and then, you know, a new character can be introduced to the party for whatever story reasons, you know, that it would make sense. Right. Which actually we I ended up doing that with my monk character from um, D&D. I switched to a warlock um, partway through and then basically just had the monk stay at one of the temples that we were at uh, to do basically to just train uh, with the people there. Um, and then picked up my warlock stray, um, kind of on their way to another destination. So worked it in pretty well, could even, you know, eventually swap back to that monk character at some point had, you know, that made sense in the story. So, (laughs) or if someone else died or somebody else died (laughs) (laughs) and just like magic, there's my monk character just shows back up. (laughs) In true monk fashion, right. just showing up right when... Come running. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're running games, and I don't remember what we did for for the ones that you ran. Did we ever use maps at all? I think you drew some stuff, didn't you? Um, yes. I, I like having some things mapped out. More so to just kind of allow the the people to to have an idea of certain places but I also like to leave it pretty open-ended too yeah you're more of like a like a whiteboard drawing type person right where you've got like the vague layout of the thing but it's not like super filled in with details right so you can kind of describe the little Right, it's bits not super and pieces, concrete or anything. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. kind of make stuff up as you need it. Are there any specific tools, websites, or books that you like to use for games or get inspiration from? I like to get most of my inspiration from. I like to kind of go off of the players to an extent. If I kind of know what what their characters are or what um, just kind of what what they're interested in, then I, I like to jump off of that and then look through Reddit or just more like lists, I guess, of things that could be in certain areas, I guess. And then... Yeah, and then, like, your set piece. You always come up with, like, a set piece, like, scene to read us that's always really vivid. Right. And then... I, I like to have something um, pretty, like, a scene or a place or something really drawn out and mapped out. And then from there, I like to let um, let the players kind of decide so for instance like the contest that you ran 
mm-hmm. with having um, a location. And you kind of really described how water was like a really valuable resource or things like that, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, kind of, I like to basically describe something like that and then go off of that and see like how they react to that. And then usually the first session, I feel like you're usually like they're getting, they're kind of getting their bearings and just kind of figuring out how the dynamics of everything work and they'll go off and do something. And then from there, um, really after the first session, is when I really like to kind of build out. Then you can start kind of connecting the dots and seeing, okay, they're interested in maybe doing some social stuff with some of these like elite council members or, you know, getting dirt on them or, you know, doing criminal work or something. Yeah. And then you can right. kind of flesh out more of a storyline. Right. Based so on I guess those a, a lot of my planning ends up happening after that first session where you I mean every single time you end up obviously planning for the next time but I feel like the direction that they end up going whether it's combat or more like conversation or you know what what sparks their interest kind of tells me where to go from there if you could have any RPG book created what would you put in it Oh my gosh, that... Is probably my hardest question. That's a hard question, especially I really haven't um, done a lot of of reading, you know, but um, I feel like having a book that kind of compiles some of those different elements, whether it be like of like some pre-built like NPCs basically mm-hmm. or um you know like there are, are lists I think it's in oh my gosh why can I not come up with it Gloomhaven mm, yeah um <laughs> it's like that big box G game. <laughs> um, it's a very big box. Yeah, <laughs> it is huge. Um, so something that they have in there after playing that game, um, I really enjoyed taking pieces from that. They have like a, a list of things that you can just get out of a treasure chest, right? Well, they have like the market like when you go back to town they've always got like a certain market and there's certain tiers of stuff you but there's can something get. where you get like you know if you get number one or whatever there's one game that we played that has a list of things that like you just get like chest number or whatever and this is what's in it oh that is in gloomhaven too yeah there's like reward cards and stuff that'll be like go get this card and add it to the marketplace or right. or you get so, this thing. Yeah, so you either get it or you get access to it or whatever. But I really enjoyed that, that you could, um, like, you don't have to plan out what loot is available all the time. Like, just have a, a list of items that you might be able to get mm-hmm. or, like, amounts of 
coins or whatever and i i really enjoy having those things kind of pre-generated and then like you roll a a d20 or you roll whatever and that'll um kind of tell you what's in there especially in dungeon world if that's what you're playing you don't get as many opportunities to roll those dice so mm, i yeah. um i do enjoy having some of those things like pre pre-generated and wrote out so that would be kind of a cool um thing to have available just um, book with options basically Ra- yeah. random tables and yeah so um, the random book of options i think we're going <laughs> somewhere with that <laughs> how do you engage players in the story i really like to ask them questions specifically if someone is going on and on and they seem to be like they're the ones that are leading i like to pick out another player and ask them questions about maybe how do you feel about you know this place what what interests you here what are you scared of running into you know i really like to dig deeper into those characters or into those players because sometimes if they're the like shy or quiet player they've got a lot going on in their head they just don't know how to interject those thoughts or they don't feel like the opportunity is right and they allow someone else to lead so I like to just try and ask them some questions pry into them and and see because they end up I mean if you have the really outgoing players I mean, they're going to be interested in outgoing in really anything you do. So getting those other ones to, to spark their interest, um, I think that's a really fun thing to do. When I think asking definitive questions is helpful there too, like you said, like, how does your character feel about this thing? Or how, like asking them a question where they have to give you an answer because you could say something to the effect of like, does your character have anything to say? Nope. And then, yeah, exactly. Then they're just like, yeah, no, I'm good. No, I'm good. But when you ask a question that's targeted, then, you know, they're not, they're most likely not going to say, I'm not going to answer that. They're going to sit and think about it for a second and then try to piece together an answer for you, even if they maybe aren't comfortable talking. But the the question thing just kind of pulls them out. A little bit, I feel like. Right. I I really enjoy, too, hearing what they end up having to say because a lot of times it's not what you expect and they have really good gems that you can kind of throw into the planning. And if the character or the player more so is, is shy or just quiet um, and you have like a loud, like outgoing person, like you said, that's playing, sometimes it can be hard for them to like you said, interject or like this, this other person is going on and on and on and on and on. But then as the DM, you can kind of be like, okay, that's great. Shy player. What do you think? Or what do you, you know, you can kind of like redirect the attention in a way that maybe they don't feel bad, like trying to interrupt that other player. Right. I feel like the first um, game that I played, I was the shy player. And you were the outgoing player. Mostly, 
um, partially because of your knowledge and I felt just, uh, you know, not knowledgeable in RPGs in general. And so I kind of just let things happen. And then as the DM would ask me questions and make me think about it, I um, enjoyed it a lot more after I was kind of like, I guess, pulled out of my shell and realizing that like, you don't have to be the most knowledgeable player about the system or anything. Like that's the beauty of RPGs is you do get to kind of make it up and, and it like, at the beginning it was like, well, I don't know how I should feel or like, I don't know what I should be interested in. And it was like, well, you get to create your character. You get to create what you want to do. So I guess I have a special place in my heart for those um, players because as I went on, it kind of like, I don't know, I, I, it fueled, fueled my love for the game more. And I think, um, I think one of the questions that maybe you were asked was like, what are you afraid of? Or like, what creatures do you think would be here? And as somebody who's not like super familiar with a bunch of like fantasy type creatures, sometimes that can be a little bit more difficult, right? If you're just like, I, I, I honestly don't know what would be right here right and i think in that situation so if you're a player in that situation even to just say like well is there some kind of monster and give like a vague description of something like maybe like a reptile thing that you know hunts in these forests or something right and then somebody will most likely one of the players would probably be like oh my gosh that sounds like one of these (laughs) and then (laughs) right i also do need to say actually as a person who is deathly afraid of spiders (laughs) when i say i am afraid of a spider showing up i mean like likely i'm done like i can't know (laughs) so that is a question that I do like to ask players, like, is there something that, like, you really, like, like, not that you're scared of running into, like, in real life, you just do not want that incorporated into the game. Like, I enjoy games that include no type of spider creature <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Spiders are replaced with another type of creature. <laughs> right. Like, I, like, if I'm playing actual like video games it'll be like is there an arachnophobe mod because that will be how i know whether or not i'm going to play (laughs) that's tough for you for movies too like some of those harry potter scenes it's like shut your eyes and and plug your ears and wait for me to nudge you (laughs) literally the biggest harry potter fan have not and will not watch that scene (laughs) (laughs) there's like there's like two yeah there's like two different times or two different movies i think that have like really big spider scenes in them and right they did pretty decent with the cgi so so that was one thing though like embarrassingly like in the first campaign i played that was like 
what are you afraid of? Or what do you think will be here? And I'm like, don't say spiders because, you know, <laughs> spiders are going to show up. But really, should I let him know? Like, no spiders, please. I mean, so if you get that out in the open, like, please don't incorporate that. That'll just make everything go more smooth. It is a really good point to just talk to your players to know what they are okay with and what they're not okay with. Especially, like in your case, spiders are a pretty classic, like, forest-type enemy. So... And, and typically in D&D, they're like giant spiders and not like regular spiders. So right. <laughs> it just uh, right. lets you know to tone down some of those things or to just, just replace them with something else equivalent Bring but in different. Really, really anything else, but not that. Not that, please. <laughs> Do you... Um, so are you making your characters, like as a player... Or, uh, as a DM, do you like to come up with a big backstory for them? Or do you kind of let that evolve as you play? You said backstory for the the characters? Yep. So, um, as, a, as a DM, I do really enjoy it when people do have a backstory. And, but... I do like to let them know, like, it doesn't need to be a, like, deep, long thing, you know? It might be like, I was wronged by my family, or I'm, you know, seeking glory, or, you know, like, what, you know, maybe something that happened in their past that is fueling their future, um, but... It's fine if they don't, and I also encourage them to, like, as we're continuing through um, the campaign, if they kind of realize, like, if we're going through different um, places and they're like, oh, maybe I was from here or whatever, like, yeah, please go add that in. That's great. You know, as a character, I think... Or as a player, I think it depends on your DM. Like, for me, how easy or hard it is to make a backstory. Just knowing how how planned out your DM has it ahead of time. Because if you're planning your characters before the, um, like before the actual session... If if you're bringing your character in and the DM is bringing their story in, sometimes it's hard because you don't want to accidentally have competing stories or whatever. Right, so. like things can clash or like they just don't make sense. Right, so that's why I find it to be important to have dialogue before the actual time of the session. Unless, like, the the first time you're, you're meeting, you're, like, making the characters together. And then the next time is when you're actual, like, when you actually play. Then, mm-hmm. you know, then it doesn't matter as much. But if you're going to, like, make your character beforehand, I think it's important to have that dialogue with the... So my D&D character had a... Um 
decent backstory that we worked out uh, with the DM. Um, basically, my monk was a four elements monk, so he was traveling to the different elemental temples to learn, like, to train with them, basically. Um, so it was kind of his... It was a little bit more in-depth than that, but that was his kind of main backstory. Um, but now, I agree with what you were saying on having, like, almost, like, list items of kind of, like, vague things that are in your backstory. And I, I don't remember if it was on Reddit or where I saw this, but they explained it as um, giving the dungeon master knives for their characters. So they would write down, like, kind of bullet points, like looking for their lost sister or like maybe it was and you know had this one mentor that trained them how to do this certain thing or skill or something right so they have like list of people or locations or just kind of things in general that were important to their character and those were those were kind of quote air quotes the knives that the dm would get to take and then could use it to like stab the players or come up with stories right because now yeah i love that with having like just jump off points for the dm like they're searching for their lost sister for an instance like that could just show up anytime or you could really intertwine that into the story but also you don't have to like, looking for the lost sister, like, well, maybe where you go at the beginning, you don't find her. But you you have that, that ability. And that doesn't, um, that wouldn't clash with other people's backstory either. Like, you're searching for your sister, that could be true. And someone else, you know, was, you know, what was the other thing you said? Or, like, trained by some mentor or something. Yeah, the other person could have been trained by a mentor, and you could run in, you know, run into them later, too. Like, it it wouldn't clash. That's the hard part. If you have too much stuff, like, you were wronged by this whole group of people, or this whole, you know, race or whatever, then, like, if one of the other players ends up being that, like... That kind of pokes you, holes in it. You can kind of, like, create these, like, not blind spots, but, like, you can, like, lock off certain sections of content because my character doesn't like dwarves or something, right? And then, like, one of the players is a dwarf. Right. You know, and that could be interesting tension. Uh, it may just be, like, really bad tension at the same time. And That's why I like in dungeon world they have you have those bonds yep and i feel like that's very like interesting to have these different bonds with different people that you can work on resolving or changing or developing throughout the campaign so for anybody who's not familiar with the the dungeon world bonds they're basically each class has um basically like two or three short sentences and that are fill in the blank and then you put in another um character's name i think you're supposed to put in a player character name but when we ran it we said you know like if you want to make up a an npc and put their name in there that's fine as well right so they have different like good or bad bonds Mm -hmm. um like this 
so-and-so wronged me or um, I feel a strong connection with so-and-so or we both worship the same God or like just different. And a lot of them are based on the class. So like the rogue has one that says, I stole something from blank. And I think the, the druid or the ranger has something like, blank doesn't understand nature, I will teach them, or right. something, right? Yeah. So it's, they're, they're kind of little prompts that are specific, or not specific, but kind of geared towards something that that class would be interested in. Um, and then they can kind of cause some internal tension, not too much. Um, or create those bonds and things and 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 players fill them out separately from each other and then they're like during character creation they all fill them out and then you go around the table and then you read your bonds like you describe your character read your bonds and say i have here are my bonds with everybody at the table and it's like oh that's interesting right when you kind of see that network uh that was kind of randomly decided when the you know, during character creation without everybody's input. Right. It's really fun to see that web um, being kind of woven together as you describe it. You're like, oh, okay. These two people are really close and there's kind of tension between those two people, but I, I'm close with, you know, one of them. And yeah, it just adds a really fun element. Um, and Back a little bit on those knives, like we were talking, having those little bits and pieces like i'm looking for my sister and then you know the dm can kind of prod with a question and say what happened to your sister do you even know what happened to your sister right and say well she was taken when she was you know 12 or something right we don't know who took her where she went right and then like later on the dm could slip hints like oh there's this faction that we've been dealing with like this thieves guild or something and then have them come across the clue like that's probably my sister. Like, they've got her, you know, and you can tie it into, you know, since there wasn't a super defined, like, where I'm trying to save my sister from the tower that's guarded by the dragon, you know, since it's something just really open, I'm just trying to find my sister. The DM can, you know, weave it in somewhere to something that you're already dealing with in the story. Right, and that can also help you as the DM if you can, you know, help your your players come up with those you have a direction to propel them forward sometimes it's easy to stall if you don't you know stall out somewhere if you don't have somewhere something to fuel them to move in a different direction exactly always got to have that main quest marker right (laughs) exactly Well, Ashley, it was really fun having you on the podcast. I was not expecting you to want to do an interview, so it was really fun to sit down and chat for an hour. I wish that I knew a little bit more about, um, you know, more systems, but I think it's really fun to dive into just the, um, just how DMing works in general like as a mindset almost right and so yeah this is a lot of fun hopefully we can do it again and i'll have a little bit more background (laughs) and maybe we'll have to get you in on a game on the server 
something. Yeah, for sure. I don't know what it is, but like you can attest to this. My Discord literally never lets me in. <laughs> like, I don't know why. So, um, I will maybe have to try to attempt to get on. You might just need to make a new account. Yeah. I, it literally locks me out <laughs> yeah. all the time. But then, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with it. Every time we try to play games, like video games online with friends, it always locks up and doesn't let her in and doesn't respond to like password resets or anything. Yeah. It's I don't really know. bad. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So we'll have to give that a shot. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.